Hello and welcome. My name is Londa Carter and I am the Recovering Hunbot and this is Season 1, Episode 4 of Hey Hun, You Woke Up. Today I will be talking to Robert Fitzpatrick. You may or may not be familiar with Robert. He has done a lot of work in the movement against multi-level marketing. His website is Pyramid Scheme alert.org and his latest book is coming out this spring and it is called Ponzinomics. This is being brought to you in video format on YouTube. Also it is available as a podcast on Spotify and on several other different platforms. All of it is created through Anchor. The very best way you can support me as a creator if you enjoyed this type of content is through my Patreon and I've made it really simple. There are three tiers right now ranging from a dollar to ten dollar a month and any amount helps. What you will be contributing to is one, to help me keep on making content, two, I'm also in the process of creating a very extensive survey so that I can collect data on people who have been in MLMs to be able to then analyze the results. And to do that, I need a tool called SurveyMonkey that will help me, you know, do the statistical analysis. Another thing you can do is, you know, get some merch from me. There's a link to that in the description. And also, if you're listening to me as a podcast on Anchor, you can donate there. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that we had a bit of connectivity issues. So I'm just going to have a still image. So listen to this, you know, podcast style if you are on YouTube. And if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, well, you have no choice but to listen to it in podcast style. Welcome, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me. And I am so super excited for your book to, you know, hit the shelf, Ponzinomics, which I understand it is coming out in spring of this year. And today we're going to just talk a little bit about it. And I really want to get into the aspect that you bring up in dealing with cults. So welcome and thank you. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Alanda, and, and hopefully I can shed some insight and some light on these questions, you know, about multi-level marketing. I appreciate that. Um, I would like for you, I mean, I know the history of multi-level marketing is a long and winded, twisty t- kind of a road, but if you can possibly give kind of like um, maybe a synopsis of that, then leading that into how multi-level marketing does align with what, you know, is commonly referred to as cult and maybe give like a definition of what you're using as for, for cult. Yeah. So this will be a real quick, you know, like a you know, history of 75 years of history in a couple of minutes. <clears throat> but let's, first of all, multi-level marketing is a thing, right? It's not just a bunch of companies out there. What I was saying is multi-level marketing is a phenomenon. <clears throat> it's not just companies that just showed up independently. It has source. It has an origin. There is an Adam and Eve for multi-level marketing. There is a genesis for multi-level marketing. <clears throat> Where it all started uh, is with a company called Neutralite. Neutralite had been in business for about 10 years. <clears throat> it was a vitamin company run by one man named Carl Renberg was a tiny little company, failing, selling vitamins, homemade vitamins, with no testing of its efficacy or safety, as all vitamins were. It developed in the 30s in a period when vitamins were booming as a new discovery in science, but Neutralite never really cashed in on it. 
And Carl Renberg was supported by family members and, and ex-wives who put in money and it was going nowhere. And one day he went to a, a Dale Carnegie course uh, looking for help. Dale Carnegie was the most famous trainer of salespeople in the world. He had written a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he had a course that went with it. And at this course, he met a man named William Castleberry, who was a pop psychologist. And pop psychologist who also had a book and had a little radio show giving uh, free advice over the radio. And this is in the Los Angeles area. Castleberry was failing as well with his radio show and his book. And he was doing work um, at a munitions factory. And uh, so when he had a colleague there that he had met at the munitions factory, that he struck a friendship up, a guy named Lee Mittenger. And Mittenger was a, a seasoned door-to-door sales guy. He was in his 50s. He was about 50 years old, 51, 52 already, as was Renberg, and so was Castleberry. So these are middle-aged men whose careers had gone nowhere. Uh, and um, <clears throat> Mittenger, though, had been in the funeral and cemetery plot business, one of the most notorious deceptive businesses in the direct selling world at that time. A wonderful book written about their tactics was uh, a book called The American Way of Death and uh, itemized all the various deceptions that were used there. Not only that, um, Mittenger was working at Forest Lawn Cemetery, the most famous cemetery, private cemetery in the country. Most private cemeteries are modeled on Forest Lawn in the Glendale, California area. So he had a whole background of uh, roving teams of salespeople, calling on homes, convincing people that they needed expensive coffins and special pieces of land, and uh, shaming them if they didn't buy the best, and high-pressure sales, manipulating the salespeople, and so on. And, and this was his background. And Castleberry's background was in psychology, which was a kind of a, a new area, pop psychology. And it was, he, he viewed psychology as a kind of therapeutic way of living, that it offered tools for how to live. So it was a kind of code for a way to live effectively. So you can see these two fields, kind of these two men coming together. They spent several years at this munitions factory talking about sales and what could be done. And Mittenger wishing that he could get another sales opportunity where he would be the top guy. And he complained that the thing that always thwarted him as a sales manager working for other people was just when he would get a team of good salespeople, they would get promoted into management and he would lose all of their productivity because he was getting an override on everything they did. Then he'd have to go out and find new people and train them. So the two of them concocted what would be kind of like, what, what, would, we, what would it be like if we could keep it where you could get as many salespeople as possible, even if they recruited other people and became managers, it wouldn't bump me out this was the heart of it, an old seasoned cemetery plot sales guy imagining a way in which he could be the top gun manager and never lose his status and wishing that he could have a sales position in which the owner would not constantly subvert him by bringing in new salespeople 
and bringing them into management. The two of them began talking about Neutralite and, their, and his conversation with this guy, Carl Renberg, who had this little vitamin company struggling, going nowhere. And so they decided to proposition him that they would take over sales and marketing for him. Which, and that was the beginning. When they signed that contract, they introduced into this company what they called the plan. And the plan was essentially exactly what every multi-level marketing company was. It was invented by those two guys. It was essentially nothing more than a chain letter. And the chain letter had been the boom in this country, all the rage in only about nine or 10 years before all this. The money chain letter. It was a mania in America where people were putting money in an envelope and then you would send it off to your friends and take your name off the list. It was a chain letter. It was the original chain letter. So that had happened just previous to that. So in effect, what they did is they took the chain letter model and overlaid it onto sales and created what we now call multi-level marketing. And then they had a product. They had the Renberg company, Neutralite Vitamins, which had, again, was just alfalfa leaves, basically ground up and processed, put into a capsule sold at an exorbitant price, as all vitamins were at that time, and still are, can be. And <clears throat> they took it over. And the company was doing about $24,000 a year in business. And immediately it catapulted. And in, within a year or two, it was in well over a million dollars, then $10 million. And it just grew from there. And the, whereas he only had about 24 salespeople, something like that, 40 salespeople, tops, it grew into the thousands, right? And it spread across the whole country, Neutralite. So that was the first MLM. And it operated uh, uh, up until, well, it was acquired, Amway acquired it in 1970. But uh, in 49, so we said 48, 45, late 45, 46, Neutralite became MLM through these two men, Mittenger and Castleberry, who brought in this scheme, which they called the plan, which was the model for multi-level marketing as we know it today. A couple of years into it, as it began to explode, two guys came and work, began working for it. Their names were Jay Van Andel and Richard DeVos. Those two guys came and became salespeople for it. And they worked there for 10 years. So, uh, and, and they rose in the ranks and became top, not the top, but upper level salespeople. And during this time, at the same time, the Federal Food and Drug Administration cracked down on Neutralite because they discovered that Neutralite salespeople, these thousands of them all over the country, were going into people's homes and recruiting other people to become salespeople claiming that these Neutralite vitamins would cure almost every ailment imaginable. If it didn't cure it, it would prevent it. If it didn't cure it and or prevent it, it would treat it or alleviate it. This was all false, total snake oil salesmanship. And it was illegal. And so the federal, the Food and Drug Administration raided Neutralite, uh, seized inventory, and took them to court. And Carl Renberg was named as one of the defendants in this, along with his company, as was Mittenger, 
and Castleberry, and they fought it in court for years. Um, and eventually it even went to the Supreme Court where they lost actually. But um, during this time, <clears throat> of course, you've got these two guys, DeVos and Van Andel in there, seeing this, seeing the problem with the government cracking down on this company, seeing the potential of this company, seeing how explosive it was and how the system worked. And they were there 10 years to learn the system. So in about 1959, 1960, they defected. They took 5,000 of the salespeople with them, at least, So Amway began with a big block of salespeople, stolen effectively from Neutralite. And to avoid the Food and Drug Administration, they used a different product that was not health-related. Basically, it was laundry soap. Uh, but very quickly, they added more and more products, and soon they added Neutralite back into the product mix. And uh, in fact, Neutralite is now, I think it's the, the biggest product of Amway, is those vitamin pills, and other is their cosmetic line. So that's the source of it. That was the genesis. Neutralite, Carl Renberg, Mittenger and Castleberry, And then these two guys come in and they defect and create a duplicate company of it, but with a different product. And after that, that process been, you know, like a cloning over and over and over and over again. And now we have hundreds of these schemes, hundreds of, but essentially they never change. It's like a magic act. You know, the magic act is perfected. Other magicians adopt it and do it, but they don't really change it because it works. So they may give a little different, superficial introduction to it. They may have a little different disguise or trappings around it, but it works. So what they found is it, it worked. The government during all this time never even examined closely the business model. What they were examining was the false medical claims. But as soon as Amway was launched in the 60s and they began to duplicate, then state governments primarily saw this was something wrong. This was an endless chain scheme. And so then you had these new laws being passed all around the country in the late 60s. The most important one was in California. And California's law was, uh, be became the model, really, for many others. And so the government was trying to stop this. And then in the 70s, the government began prosecuting multi-level marketing, the big ones, as pyramid schemes, as endless chain schemes, as a scheme in which the money you were to make was dependent entirely on recruiting other people to get into the business. The money that they invested would become the profit you would gain as an earlier investor, a classic Ponzi money transfer. They saw this as inherently illegal because it's inherently deceptive and it's unsustainable. Obviously, two can't produce four, eight, 16 forever, right? There will always be most of the people at the bottom since... The only way you can make money is to have a lot of people below you. If that's the case, then most of the people are going to be in the bottom ranks. If you have to be in the upper ranks to make money, then any claim that everybody could make money at this would have to be on its face false. And also it couldn't keep going forever. So there would have to be massive dropout rates for the scheme to keep going. So they saw it as inherently 
not only deceptive, but harmful because it would cause the loss of all these people. So the government did try to stop them. They prosecuted two of the major ones, uh, Cascot and Holiday Magic, and uh, they shut them down. The third was Amway. They prosecuted Amway with exactly the same language as they did the other two, believing that they had been successful in the other two. The logic, the math, the common sense of it, the inherent nature of it were obvious. And that was the basis of the case. But Amway um, fought back very strongly. And Amway had something the other two didn't have. They had political connections. So at that very same time, Richard Nixon is embroiled in Watergate and he resigns. And his vice president takes over the presidency. That's Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford was the U.S. congressman from where? Grand Rapids, Michigan, the headquarters of Amway. Jerry Ford was a major recipient of contributions from Amway. And it was reported in the New York Times that while Amway was being prosecuted by the Federal Trade Commission, DeVos and Van Andel had private meetings with the President of the United States in the Oval Office <laughs> discussing the case brought against them. Additionally, Van Andel is the finance chairman of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the largest, most powerful business organization in America. So um, there was a wonderful podcast produced here um, last year called The Dream. And in The Dream, we discussed this history, political history, multi-level marketing. And I said then, which I draw out a little more in the book, that it is unreasonable to believe that the Federal Trade Commission really would have been able to shut down Amway, given the political connections and business connections that this company had, which the other two, Holiday Magic and Coscott, had nothing like that. To the contrary, the head of Coscott was a kind of clownish character, dressed in gaudy suits. He had run for Congress once, lived in Florida, uh, he had a cleft palate, made a big thing about that, that he was like, if I can make money with this, a poor boy from South Carolina with a cleft palate and so on, anybody can. So he was this flamboyant character who had no political connections. <clears throat> and the other guy, William Penpatrick, who was the head of Holiday Magic, was a, <clears throat> an extreme right-wing ideologue. He was a member of the John Birch Society. He had run against Ronald Reagan to the right of Ronald Reagan. He was a, a guy that thought the, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court should be hanged for his views. So he was an, uh, an anomalous outlier, rogue character. He had no political power at all. And Amway was the opposite of all that, heavily connected with the Republican Party. In fact, Dick DeVos, Richard DeVos, headed up the finance, financing of the Ronald Reagan campaign. So I, it is my assertion in the book that, you know, Amway beat 
beat the prosecution, they were convicted of price fixing and they were convicted of false income claims. But on the charge that they were a pyramid scheme, the government dropped the case. The attorney for the FTC was baffled, astounded. He had carefully gathered all this data on saturation in the market, in areas where Amway had been present for a long time, showing that it became increasingly un, uh, impossible, really, to keep recruiting at the same levels, which is the evidence of an endless chain, which is the evidence of the false, deceptive nature of an endless chain promise, which is constantly receding, but is never acknowledged. None of his data was, was even accepted in the court. The court just ignored it. And then after that, the uh, Federal Trade Commission affirmed the ruling of the administrative law judge. They didn't have to. The administrative law judge is not a federal judge. It's a member actually of the executive branch, not the judicial branch. Uh, by law, the FTC could have rejected it, could have ignored it. It's not binding on any other company, but the FTC suddenly treated that ruling as sacrosanct, final word. And so that's really how it began. Amway now got the clear. In effect, Amway was, became the seed of many more MLMs. There were already several others by this, by this time, mid-70s. But from 1980 on, it really exploded because it was effectively legalized. And it never has the FTC, uh, and, and, and they have only increased their political strength. They have a caucus in Washington. You know, they have many members of Congress that owe a lot to them. So um, that's really the history of it, of where it came from. It came out of the most banal, mundane, farcical history, really. A little failed vitamin company and two middle-aged men one from the funeral uh, cemetery plot business and another a pop psychologist doing a radio show who get together and create this scheme based really on the endless chain, on the chain letter, hook up with this little vitamin company and launch this thing which explodes suddenly in popularity <laughs> with the same product they always had, except they had this income opportunity they were promising people. And which then these two guys, Van Andel, the, the main contribution, I think, again, to bring this back to the realities of today. I, I will say that uh, now we're, we're up into the 1960s. And uh, we're going back to the 1960s, pre-prosecution pre, uh, from the government, which they survived. Uh, Amway did. <clears throat> but in that 60 period, when Van Andel and DeVos created this new company called Amway, modeled exactly on Neutralite. Even, they even called their business opportunity the plan. Now in a new era of the 60s, and what was occurring in the 60s was an explosion in consciousness raising, in new adventures in awareness, in motivation, in transformation, in people trying to adopt a new way of living, of seeking happiness instantly, of providing a new way of being that would make them effective, successful, and so on. And we saw this in all kinds of new movements that were called cultic. 
So we saw transcendental meditation, Scientology, right? And, and many others that came. Some were religious, some were political, some were philosophical, some were therapeutic. In the case of multi-level marketing, the two founders now of this new multi-level marketing called Amway, DeVos and Van Andel, these two people were religious zealots. They're from a very, very conservative. So I'm talking about, we're in the 1960s now, and um, <clears throat> Amway and other MLMs are proliferating now. But Amway is going to prove to be the biggest and the largest and the most powerful of all of them. And although there were others that, that were quite strong too, but they will be the one that makes the mark on the whole industry, on the whole field. And this was at a time, they didn't invent this by any means. This is something much larger than multi-level marketing. This was a phenomenon occurring throughout the country. A kind of explosion of what people came to be calling cultic movements, cultic organizations. Some were offering instant happiness, uh, insight, enlightenment, effectiveness in life and work. There were encounter groups, transformational courses, the Esalen Institute was created in 1962, almost exactly the same time in Big Sur, California. Scientology began spreading and many other religious cults developed at this time. Very extreme fundamentalist churches and they were all using techniques of persuasion and enrollment that people really had not seen before. And multi-level marketing absorbed many of these techniques and persuasion techniques. <clears throat> in particular, the two founders of Amway, DeVos and Van Andel, were already from a cultic religious community, isolated, insular, rigid, orthodox, authoritarian. And they brought that culture into the Amway organization. And they merged it with the traditional sales world philosophy and sales motivation techniques and sales culture. Because there had been in the 30s and, four, and, and even into the 20s, uh, it was relatively isolated to people in the sales world. But there were in the sales world programs to transform you, to motivate you, to teach you the secrets of success, to help you overcome objections, to persuade, to manipulate, to dominate, to take control, including manipulating your face, your behavior, and evoking from people responses in which would be profitable to you. So what they did is they brought that whole culture from the sales world, but they merged it with this moral mandates in which they made success a moral imperative and failure became a kind of sin. And the person on the stage became a guru, a godlike figure, and they presented success in the business as a kind of heaven on earth, proof that God loved you and blessed you, and failure as a form of perdition, a kind of sin, a character flaw, evidence that you were not in alignment with the will of God, which wanted you to be prosperous and happy. And we now call this prosperity theology, right? <clears throat> so they brought 
this kind of moral authoritarian culture and overlaid it onto a commercial culture of selling and matched that. Now, most people say, well, you can't do that in business because a business could never be a cultic movement because business is mundane. It's hard work. It's measurable. You win, you lose, you make money, you don't make money. There's a market. There are external factors. It's not mystical. You know, it's, it's very banal. It's very practical. That's business. It's life. Well, that's true, except they weren't really selling business. They were selling a business opportunity, which was presented as an infinitely available thing that everybody could have. And they were claiming they had a system that would deliver this to anybody who followed the system perfectly, 100%. As they like to say, the system works 100% if you follow the system 100%. Of course, nobody would follow it 100%, so you were always failing. You were always behind. So this is a way of gaining complete control over you because they're promising you happiness, wealth, total success, fulfillment in life through their little sales scheme that they had. Other people might teach you methods for becoming happy, but they're telling you we have a business plan for you. So as they say, real deception, you know, you can sell, you can tell people there's angels and nobody knows if there are angels, no wrong in selling, saying there are angels. But if I started selling you feathers from the angels, then you know I'm probably not on the up and up. And what multi-level marketing was doing was effectively selling feathers. (laughs) They were selling from angels. They were saying, we have, not only we have the way, the key, the secret for success in life, we even have the plan. Yeah. So what was the plan? Of course, the plan was the neutralite plan, the endless chain, which is presented as infinite, eternal, perpetual, available to everybody. Anybody can do it. You don't need training. You don't need experience. You don't need capital. You just need friends. So not only did they turn business into a kind of spiritual quest, but they also had a plan in which they sold an infinitely available thing too, right? So, um, and then they could use success or failure as a form of good or bad. You know, so they imposed on this the the necessary factors that could make it cultic, right? To where now it could become something that is totalistic. It isn't just a job. You know, if you sold full of brush products going door to door, at the end of the day, you could put your feet up on the sofa, have your drink, and say, forget all that crap. I, you know, I'm home. You could complain about the customers. You could complain about the company if you wanted to. You didn't have to carry all that with you. Multi-level marketing became totalistic. It's 24-7. It's your life. It's not just a job. You have to recruit everybody. You're always recruiting. Every friend. No boundaries. Most businesses, there was a boundary. Come home. You don't talk to your family. You don't try and proposition your family or your friends. There's boundary lines here because you want to keep that social network safe because you need it to survive. We all do. Multi-level marketing just blasted right through that barrier to make it totalistic, became effectively a kind of religion for people. It became a substitute for religion. And making money became a state of grace. Not making money became a kind of purgatory 
you know, a punishment, a failure, a perdition. People on the stage became like prophets, gurus, saints, and so on. The plan became this sac- almost a omnipotent thing. You couldn't question it. You never changed it. You never questioned Doubt was a bad thing. You had to have faith. You had to believe. Okay? Now, that doesn't sound like business, right? <laughs> Nobody in any other business is going to tell you you have to believe. They're going to tell you you just got to go do it, right? It's work. You get out there and do it. But you don't have to believe. You don't have to come in and recruit your mother and your father. You don't have to recruit your family and friends, you know? When I was in Beach Valley, one of the things that I got embroiled in was the law of attraction because it's all about, you know, thinking about it, envisioning it, seeing it, becoming it, and which, you know, I never got there. But there sure were a lot of exercises for me to do to keep me busy into believing. Yes. So the one thing they don't want you to do is to get out a calculator. Yeah. And start saying, well, wait a minute, if I recruited five and then I got them to recruit 25, well, wait a minute, that won't keep going. They don't want you to do that. They don't want you to say, you know, I've been working at this for six months. Um, Can you tell me how many people have ever been in this thing and how many people succeeded at it? You know, what's what's the rate of failure? How many people are quitting? Um, You know. They don't want you to do things, which is in normal businesses would be called due diligence. So they, they've got all these other things to keep you from doing that. One of them is this mystification. The business is mystified. It's based on principles that are not supply and demand. It's not about the market. It's not about price competition. It's not about even meeting a basic commodity need. It's the law of attraction. What is that? Well, that's a universal law. That's an immutable law. That's a law like gravity. So they're telling you this business is based on these immutable metaphysical laws, not economics. Don't don't worry about competitors. Don't worry about the price. Don't talk about, does people really need this stuff? Um, Don't talk about failure rates. Don't talk about cost versus profit. Don't talk about due diligence. Talk about the law of attraction, which is just somebody's idea, right? Law of attraction. There's no law, actually, about law of attraction. Law of attraction meaning it's up to you. And it's a way of, in effect, saying if you're not having success, you're apparently not exuding success. So you're not attracting success because somehow you're communicating failure. So, again, you're put in this state of sin this kind of state of perdition in which you're not good enough. Now, how do you overcome that? Well, we know. Come to the next conference. It's only $400, and it's going to be held at the convention center in Orlando. That's only $800 more for your costs and your trip and so on. And while you're there, you'll buy some more things, and then you'll get a ticket to go in and listen to the guru. So meanwhile, you're not doing due diligence, right? You have, in effect, made your life, your success, your self-worth subservient to this organization, which now claims to have metaphysical powers. 
they have somehow mastered the law of attraction. You know, they know the secrets of success. So these are metaphysical, not economic principles. And it's all up to you. So then it becomes, and this is why MLM is called, a blame the victim racket. Because what they have done is you're not ask, able, you can't even ask the company, could, could the model be wrong? Could the lead, there's no sales leads? Could this thing be kind of flawed? Could I be failing only because the model wouldn't even allow very many people to succeed at this? Am I being duped? Well, no, you don't even get to ask questions like that because you're dealing with an organization that claims to have metaphysical powers, mystical powers. And the people on the stage act like they have moral authority over you, right? So you can see how this reduces you. You're now, you're now somebody that can't ask a question. You can't think for yourself. You just have to listen, believe, follow, follow the plan. Keep spending, keep investing, keep working for them. That's really what they're trying to do. That's the object of the business. And as long as you do that, you're a great customer. Of course, it's your expense. Yes, a lot of it. Oh, it's, it's also, I mean, now that I'm on the other side, so to speak, it's just so insidious. And I'm seeing, not I'm sure you can speak to this, not only MLM as an issue, but there's these offshoots. There are these gurus that you will buy courses from, that you will go to join masterminds and all of these different things, which are all part of the overall scheme to keep you part of it, to keep you not only a customer in the MLM, but also to keep you their customer too, because now they've left the MLM and they've created another business that will help you because they have the secret. Right, right. So, so you're looking at a, <clears throat> the core racket, is the endless chain scheme, the money-making scheme, the income proposition, the so-called income opportunity, direct selling, it's called, although virtually nobody can could ever make money selling these products out in the open market at competitive prices. Couldn't do that. Just like you really couldn't sell apples on the street anymore. You know, you can't really sell these products. You have to recruit. So it's an endless chain recruiting scheme. That's the fundamental part. But as we've said, it's been mystified. It's been mystified so that you've been told there are secrets and there are gurus and there are masters who know how to do this, even though you're failing. seems like everybody around you is failing, but they're all failing because, uh, you know, due to their own fault. So it's all their blame. So now there's a, there's a business to be built on selling you secrets. And this became uh, first developed uh, in, in uh, I think the first sign of this was almost in the original MLMs. Um, the, the first ones, such as um, uh, Cascot, had an adjacent scheme called Dare to be Great. So there was a so-called motivation mind training program adjacent to the Cascot scheme. Holiday Magic which was the other of the three big ones in the 1970s and 60s, Holiday Magic had a thing called Mind Dynamics. Mind Dynamics became the, the beginning of many other schemes such as EST, or now called Landmark, later was called the Forum, came from that. That was adjunct to Holiday Magic. 
So MLM from the 60s forward always had with it a, a mind training program adjacent to it, which you paid also for that. Because again, the plan had been mystified. You had to change yourself to make this thing successful. Now remember, this has roots going before MLM to the early days of sales training. This was standard in a lot of sales world work that you had to become this kind of embodiment of success. You had to exude confidence. You had to adopt a mentality and a personality to be successful. But they overlay on this thing these other new transformational technologies that were being taught, breakthroughs in human potential. And that's really what was happening in the 60s. So in the case of Amway, they had what developed in Amway was an adjunct program called Amway Motivation Organizations. These were the same as you're talking about, but they were run by kingpin characters in Amway, top gun recruiters who had their own separate business that you paid separately to them, although many people didn't understand that. They didn't know that it was going directly to that person who sold you these tools for transforming yourself. Tapes back then, tapes. Now it's more on, online. But also these events, these very carefully orchestrated events um, where you would stay uh, in the audience till three in the morning, a constant repetition of these messages, a constant droning of the same thing over and over again. And with these speakers, and they could bring speakers in, including Colin Powell, Oliver North, um, and these you know, big name people, you would have major musical groups singing, performing there. So this was a big production. And all aimed at getting you, of course, financed by the people in attendance, teaching you these mystical secret tools for success. And almost all MLMs have, have followed that model now. They, they have these and, and has turned it into a kind of adjunct industry of people selling sales leads, secrets of success, motivation programs, um, how to manage your downline, how to build a downline. It goes on and on and on, all for pay. And they work kind of hand in glove. You know, you know there is a rule in the world of fraud, flim flam. The best prospect for a for a flim flam victim, the best prospect to find to flim flam someone, find someone who's been flim flammed before. You see, that's counterintuitive. You want to say, well, if somebody got burned once, they would be less apt to be burned twice. But it actually is not like that. We're burned once, and we have now even stronger need to redeem ourselves. So you're in the MLM scheme that had promised you it was going to be so an, a pathway to your success. On the stage, people were so happy. People that recruited you told you it's going to be great. And you've done nothing but fail, lose money, right? You, you, you want to make it right. You don't want to say, I was wrong. Maybe I got duped. Could my friend have brought me into this? As, so you want to make it right. So you're, you're a perfect candidate for the guy to come say, well, no, you were right. You were right. You're in the right place. 
You just don't know the, the secrets. You, you don't have the experience, the knowledge, the esoteric knowledge that you need. We have it. Come over here, $500. You can learn it in one day. You get there in one day, oh, you really need an ongoing course. It's really $100 a month, you know? <laughs> so, you know, one thing after and after another, till you're drained dry, then you'll quit. As long as you've got money and hope, you're still, you're still alive for them. Yeah, I can definitely see that going on. I went through it, you know. I ran all over the internet you know, trying to find the way that this is going to crack this nut. Never, it, it cracked me, not, you know, not how to be successful. That just never happened. And so many people that I know, as you have spoke of, I just think of all the faces of all the people I know that were doing the same thing. Some of them are still in MLM have gone on to other ones. Some of them may still be in Beachbody and many people that I have met within the anti-MLM movement as well over since I have gotten into that. Um, I do want to ask you your opinion on social media and the impact social media has had on the proliferation of this overall scheme. How do you think that, do you think it has increased it or is it the same? What is your opinion? Well, um, it will be an opinion. I, I don't really have any way to validate this. Um, I have been watching multi-level marketing since um, the late 90s, right? So over 20 years, I have followed it. So when I first began observing it, and much of the material that I read at the time took it back even to the 80s or the 70s, right? So that would be pre-internet days, um, pre-email uh, days, pre uh, also the really almost pre-computer days. So, um, you know, and back then uh, the classic MLM model was kind of people going into people's homes and having these little sit-downs with them or recruiting people one-to-one in their neighborhood and so on. And often they would buy the inventory and have to sort of keep the inventory in their house. And then when they sold it, when they recruited somebody, sometimes they would actually have to bring the inventory to that person. And, uh, and it was a very physical, um, hands-on system. And it was spread virally, word of mouth, through social circles, networks, but it was really done, you know, it was physically limited by your physical presence and the immediate contacts that you had in your family, friends, neighbors, work, church, right? <clears throat> and then it progressed technologically where you really didn't have to buy the inventory, it could be drop shipped, for example. You didn't have to supply the inventory to somebody else. And then uh, email came in, and then the whole communication system. So, you know, it, it has progressed from the technology supporting supply chain management, you might say, and then, the, and then communication uh, systems for, that, in, that were enabled through the Internet 
And then social media developed. Now, social media is the newest thing. Of course, it's facilitated on the internet and it presumes the, the supply chain capacity with computers that can keep track of all of this, drop ship everything, keep track of your commission schedules and all that. But what social media brought was the ability of an individual to have a network far larger than their immediate friends and family and net churchgoer uh, friends or uh, you know fellow people in the church or their workmates. Uh, you could build um, you know following um, online to with strangers. You didn't have to you know the typical thing you used to hear in the Amway world was people would you know uh, approach strangers and there was this odd come on, very weird, but it was quite common. You know, uh, you see somebody at the gas station and they're pumping gas and somebody suddenly says. Uh, um, you know, you, you look like somebody that would uh, be interested in making some extra money, maybe based on the car they're driving or something. Um, I, I've got something I'm, I'm getting in. Maybe you would have an interest in it too. You approach people in grocery stores and it, the waiter coming to you at a table, you would try and hit on them. And, um, but with social media, this can kind of be done in a far wider manner and a more acceptable. So MLM pretty quickly infiltrated social media to where originally Facebook was kind of about friends, right? That was the idea, you know, friends. And pretty soon it became commercial where, you know, you think somebody, and this of course had its, had its counterpart in the earlier era, the, the old classic MLM story you get somebody calls you up you haven't seen in a long time, maybe an old classmate, an old neighbor. You haven't seen them in years. Phone call. How nice. I just want to catch up. Haven't talked to you in a long time. Thought about you recently. How about coffee? Sounds great. Yeah. You think, well, isn't that nice? You go to the coffee. The guy's got a briefcase with him. It's a pitch for Amway or Herbalife or whatever. Oh, God. It wasn't about friends at all. They commercialized social circles. They commercialized social. Now you couldn't be confident, really, that you know your friends were your friends. You didn't know really what. And and this is this happened to me. I actually literally had an old friend approach me when I moved from. I was live in Florida. I came back up to North Carolina after almost twenty years, and an old, you know, childhood friend came to my door. And my first thought was he's coming to pitch me on something, which was so sad because actually he wasn't, you know, but that's how, that's how it had been poisoned already, you know? And um, so now social media has become poisoned with this, but it's really no different. And, and I think that the social media has enabled MLMs to reach a wider body of people. On the other hand, it has enabled people who now critically, criticize it, examine it, dissect it, critique it. And so they also can get the word out more widely. So um, I think on balance, uh, social media has not essentially made a difference. That's my view. Uh, it's still about humans scamming humans. It's still about exploiting and, and distorting personal relationships. 
And this has become so pervasive now that we almost don't even notice it, that people who come on to you as friends aren't your friends. They're selling something, you know, and um, they or they're promoting a brand or something like this. And it's become, it's, and I think MLM has helped change our culture, you know, in this way. It's, it's made uh, commercialism the dominant feature of life. It's helped, not by itself. Madison Avenue had a lot to do with that too. But MLM at the local personal level where we live, not what you see on TV, not just some brand that is pushed on us, but at the local personal level where people invite you to their home and they're only just trying to sell you something. Worse than that, they'll start selling you on a business opportunity that they themselves haven't even been successful at. But they will tell you it's the great, greatest thing in the world. They're trained to do that. So they're not just you know, commercializing relationships, they're really abusing them you know, in, a, in a very crass and dishonest way. And so I think that's part of the mark that MLM has made on life in America. Yeah, I, that, that is all brilliantly stated. Um, it just makes me think of all the hey girl or hey hun messages that I sent or that I've received that I now see on r slash anti MLM, which people now recognize and they know what's coming. They know it's a pitch, but the person who's sending it often doesn't realize what they're, they don't realize they've been indoctrinated into something. They're just trying to, you know, succeed. And you're just a hater. You're, you're not being um, what is it, supportive of their business, even though it's not their business. They're not their own CEO. They're not their own boss. They are really the customer to the MLM. Right. That's right. They don't have a business anyway. That's part of it. That's part of the false um, presentation. But as I say, not only do they violate a boundary, you know, it's one, this has been historic, sacred boundary line for very good reason. You know, like I say, when they tell you an MLM, you can get started with very little capital, a few hundred dollars. That's really one of the biggest lies because they are going to ask you to invest tap into, expend the most valuable treasure you actually have built up in your life, which is your social capital, your social network, your family, your friends. We can't live without that. You know, you can't live in isolation. People go crazy when they lose their friends and family. And you can't fake that in life. And they are telling you, commercialize that. Well, in other words, put it at risk, spend it. And, and um, if you lose it, it's very hard to get back. And some people don't. And I've been in situations where people have literally killed themselves as a result of MLM failure because they had spent everything on it. They had broke themselves financially, but worse, they had expended their entire trust that they had built up over a lifetime with friends and family into something that they discovered was really false. It was really a fraud, uh, a fraudulent proposition that they realized only a tiny number of people could ever be successful under a recruiting chain 
and they were telling people everyone could be successful and they knew it and they were and then manipulating and making false claims about the product and it's a miracle product and it does this which they didn't even believe themselves so they had begun lying to their friends and families they had abused their friends and family and eventually they lost them and they they couldn't face them any longer after that so yeah i i think it's the it's one of the one of the worst aspects so you know of course we you know, you can you can understand the financial flaw, the flaw in the business model. That doesn't take a lot to see. But as I say, all of this is so um, overlaid with mystification, diversion, and self-blame that a lot of people, even then when they see it dimly, or they can't really hold on to it because of these other methods of persuasion, which we called cultic. Mm-hmm. But then add into that, the complicating network, the the ensnarement of the social issues, embarrassment, shame, mm-hmm. false promises you've made, a guilt, right, and so on, that prevent people from really being able to think critically. And even when they get out, going back to something we talked about earlier, to be able to say plainly what happened and what part did they play in it what happened to them, very few people will do that. They'll try to forget about it, move on with their life, not go back. Many of them will uh, simply uh, jettison old friends that they had abused or had been abused by, you know, who had recruited them, count them out of their lives. So it's very hard for people when they come out. And that's why MLM really will probably never build or be be threatened by a large organized base of victims um i mean we don't know yet maybe it will but up to now it hasn't um i think there's some analogies to the whole me too movement Mm -hmm. which you could see for decades and decades and decades (laughs) centuries perhaps yeah obviously the abuse was going on but there was no organized statement. Nobody would come forward and take, say, this is happening. It's wrong. It's got to stop. Till now. People are now coming forward. And so you get characters like Jeffrey Epstein, mm-hmm. who was doing this for years and years yeah. with impunity, suddenly can't. It's going to go to jail. So MLM, will there be a day of reckoning, a true day of reckoning? Maybe. But up to now, no, because of these factors that we've spoken about, the cultic factor, the persuasion factor, the the ensnarement and the infiltration into the social network, sort of keep it safe, keep people from, much much like when people, when a company is a victim of embezzlement, the embezzler usually gets off because the company doesn't really want it known that people inside the company have been stealing from them because now can you trust this company? and so on. So they'll bury that often. I'm sure you've had, had this happen because I've seen it within like the Facebook groups I'm in or, you know, on my comments, on my videos and stuff. Um, people are afraid to speak out. You know, people are embarrassed, the shame, you know, all of that. And that's why I encourage people, you know, to share their stories with me, at least on my Google form, you know, to at least start talking about it. That's why we have some, you know, groups and like there's the Reddit thing. But 
in terms of coming out and trying to begin to heal and being willing to tell your story, even if you're only telling your st story in your own diary, or you're just writing it down for yourself, what do you think are some steps people can take to begin to shed um, the shame and the blame that's, you know, trapping them mentally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a deep question, and, and I, I don't pretend to, the question is a deep one. Uh, I mean, that is a deep question. I'm not a therapist. Uh, I've talked with many, many people who've come out of MLMs, um, and I, I think it's a, a process, from my perspective, it's a process not unlike the process by which you first be, you know, I have people ask, how do you help people not get in it? Yeah. yeah. How do you help somebody who is in it? Yeah. Right. And it's a very difficult question also. And, and, and usually the answers come out sounding kind of, uh, you know, simplistic, like aphorisms. Um, Critical thinking is is the is the uh, enemy of MLM. Our MLM is the enemy of critical thinking, and so I think the answer for most people, and I I have found, uh, and I have quite a few people in my life who confer with me off and on who were in MLM for a long time and are still in this process of fully extricating themselves and. And, dealt, and, and trying to deal with the years that they had spent in there. What were they doing there? How did they, get, how did they manage in that? How did their life take that direction? Why did it? And I try to stress to them, first, you're dealing with a very sophisticated scam, an entrapping scam that not only is designed this way, it has, it has the support of the government, the popular culture. It, 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 I myself have dealt with this, where for me to say what I say about multi-level marketing, some people have thought I am mentally off somehow, obsessed, possibly nihilistic, another word for evil, right? Um, that there's something wrong with me. I'm inherently negative or something like this. Why would you do this? In other words, I'm the crazy one. So that will be the, the fate of anybody who comes out only because MLM not only is a sophisticated scam, but it's a sophisticated scam that is supported by law, by government, by popular culture until recently. I will say recently, there is a heck of a lot of voices out there now. From my perspective, starting with the John Oliver show on HBO. And uh, the John Oliver show, I worked with that producer for months. And I said at the beginning, when they approached me, I said, I don't have any interest in working with you if you're just going to pick on one or two MLMs. They said, no, it's the whole system. That's what we, we know about. But we need, we need to flesh it out to understand it better. But we already understand that part of it. And so John Oliver, although he's a satirist, um, he carries a lot of authority. He's credible. And since then, there was the film about the Herbalife 
effort, uh, betting on zero, Samantha B. There's been a beautiful um, a Brit a Canadian comedy show um, with, um, what's his name? Eugene Levy called Schitt's Creek, S-C-H-I-T-T-S, Schitt's Creek. Beautiful se little segment in there about multi-level marketing. And um, so, and now the Dream Podcast, which has had millions of listeners, millions. The John Oliver Show has topped way over 20 million people watch that show. So um, I, I see it. Uh, BBC is, has done a couple of documentaries. They have another one coming soon. There's another movie coming out about it. Um, it's in it's in the culture now. It's getting in. I see the the mood of the media changing. So the the cultural support uh, that multi level marketing has enjoyed that reinforced their blame on you. You're the crazy one. Is diminishing. And I think more people will be able to say, I'm not crazy. I saw it on the John Oliver show. I saw the, I saw Alanda's uh, podcast. I, you know, I'm not crazy. I got scammed. And that to me is what I try to emphasize to people to appreciate the, the power and the, uh, of this movement, MLM movement, to entrap, to dominate, to manipulate, to deceive. And it, you don't have to be a weak person or an odd person to fall into that. Millions and millions and millions of people have been. So, um, and given the, 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 the cultural support around it, it, it's almost, you know, it's odd that somebody, when people ask me, journalists ask me, what kind of person falls for MLM? I, I often say, what kind of person doesn't? Oh, wow. Give me, give me a, a model. Give me a, a stereotype of a person who wouldn't. You know, I, I, I found, well, I found a few types of people that engineers often don't for some reason, you know, uh, people that are, that are in, engaged heavily in their work and it's successful and they love it. They're generally not very tempted by it. Occasionally some people that are very anchored in math mm -hmm. most quickly see it. And some people who have had extensive experience in sales often kind of see immediately that this can't work. This, this is not sales. I don't know what it is. This is not sales. This is some kind of other scheme. There was a very wonderful uh, show podcast uh, called on, on a series of NPR called this American life. It's produced by Ira glass. And they did one on a scheme MLM scheme called wake up now. You know, two young people were the producers of that show and they observed wake up now. And they just said right off the bat, this can't be a business. So what is it? So some people are already, you know, attuned to that. Those are rare. Most journalists fall for it immediately. They just assume direct selling, you know, people going out door to door and calling on their friends, selling orange juice or grape juice or whatever, you know, um, skin anti-aging scream, cream or, you know, weight loss. So can you sell them? Well, let me, let's just stop right there. Picture yourself from your home on your own by yourself. You've got a distributorship now for an herbal weight loss product, just like Insure, which is on every grocery store shelf, right? Now you're going to go sell this stuff to your friends and family 
it's three times as much as insure. It's no different from insure. How are you going to make a living doing that? Well, they laugh. It's absurd. So why are you calling this direct selling? Can't be done. It's, what else is it then? Well, it's a recruiting scheme. Okay, but it's not just me recruiting a bunch of people. It's me recruiting people who recruit a bunch of people who recruit a bunch of people. Now, okay, we're in a math paradigm here. Now, that should be easy to understand. Then it begins to break down for them. But initially, they're as vulnerable, I can see, as anybody else. So journalists are not you know, immune to this. So that's the kind of thing I try to tell people is uh, don't, you know, the self-blame has been inculcated in you when you're in there you, day after day self-blame self-blame that takes a while to get over um you know a lot of religions do that too, make you feel guilty guilty you're wrong you're a sinner you're bad and that'll stay with you for a lifetime unless you kind of confront it and and look at some alternatives and uh you know forgive yourself and, and again i'm not a therapist so i don't know the, the answer to these things but everybody has dealt with some of this in their lives you know, religion or whatever, but MLM turned it into a real science of, of manipulation and, and self-blame. So that does take a while to get over. But I, I start with people just getting them to remember this, this is a world-class scam. You've got, this wasn't some little flim-flam, you know, shade, shady scheme that you fell into. This is big and powerful and with well-honed tools. And, um, and 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 history behind it they know and phds experts working on this they have academics behind them and um and mostly they have money and money in america is is so powerful when somebody walks in the room and they say he's a millionaire she's a millionaire instantly people's whole perception changes right and mlm manipulates that whole aura of of wealth equating with worth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Well, any anything else we we cover, or we have we? Uh, um, no, I, I'm sure I would love to have you come back some other time. So I I could sit here and pick your brain for days on end. You know, <laughs> but I really appreciate your time and willingness to speak to me and to my audience. It's you know, thank you so much, and I do look okay. forward to your book. And, um, you know, I'll be in touch with you and I'm sure that I will have questions and I know how to reach out to you. Yes. Yes. And, and I want to acknowledge you too, Alonda. I mean, this takes courage to do what you're doing. It takes some skills in producing this and time and commitment. And that's not common. That's rare, you know, and I, I'm, believe me, I'm cognizant of what it takes to do what, what you're doing. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing it's a it's a valuable thing that's more important it's a valuable thing it's worth doing I, that's the way i look at it. people ask me this about why do you keep doing it i said you know um the more i've been in it the more it keeps va- you know verifying to me this is important this is valid it, this is big enough to warrant my my intention it's it's you know to 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 meet the challenge and and that's what's kept me kept me going. It's not just some little hobby interest. I, I think it's just an important element of day-to-day life in America today. And, you know, and the answer to it is truthfulness, bringing truth, bringing light. That's what this is all about. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, 
once I realized what I had been involved in, I was like, I can't just sit and be silent. And also, as you know, I sought to like, how can I unravel what is going on here? Because I mean, it's, it's so bizarre because everything else in my life, I have researched, I have looked at so carefully, but when it came to MLM, all of that just went out the window and I didn't because I trusted someone. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm like, okay, if this has happened to me, this is happening to other people. And what can I do to serve them, to help them know it's not you, you have been caught up in a trap. And yeah. now it's about unpeeling the layers of grime that you have been sitting in. It is. One, one last thing I'll add to about the vulnerability of people falling into this and then saying, why, why did I fall into it? And I said, you know, this is powerful, it's big, it's sophisticated, and so on. But the other thing that I think people should remember, when we're talking about cults, cultism, cultic, that many of these cults always appear rather exotic and strange. And so most people would say, I, I would never be in something like that. You would never see me in, in something. But you see, multi-level marketing has mystified and turned into the substance of cultism some of the most treasured values that are almost universal in America. Success, entrepreneurship, the American dream, self-help, right? Yeah. And, and, and becoming a financial success. These are treasured values, goals that nobody would call exotic, odd, or anything like that. Worse than that, not only hijacking these very valid values and, and icons of our lives, of our culture, they also used the most powerful disguise for our culture, which is a business. <laughs> if they had approached you and said, well, I've got this new religion I've started, you'd say, nah, I got a religion or I'm rooted in, you know, Judaism, Christianity or whatever, you know, or I'm just not religious. If they had told you, I, we've got a, a new philosophy, it's, you know, I can read on my own if it was a new political movement or something, you'd say, you know, I, I, I've got my own politics, no thanks. But who can really um, be uh, forewarned when it's approached to you as a business? It's a business, direct selling business, Yankee peddler. So it has all the trappings that would disarm most people. It's talking words and languages that are not exotic, they're commonplace. We all believe them. We all accept them. That's another reason why people would be very vulnerable and prone to fall into it, which I try to remind them <clears throat> that it is possible to use all those and distort them. Yeah. So. Well, Robert, anyway, thank you for your work and um, stay in touch. Yes, I absolutely will. And again, thank you. And again, I look forward to your book and I will reach out to you again because I know there's going to be other things I want to discuss with you. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Robert as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. And he will definitely be back as a guest on my show. And if you want there to be a change about this type of business structure and what has happened to people. Remember, it's up to you to take part in the movement and get the word out. And remember, change starts now.